1: Beginning the end. It's a story, but that's why I'm here, to tell you stories. So, where to start? When you're in the middle of a story, it isn't a story at all, but only a confusion, a dark roaring, a blindness, a wreckage of shattered glass and splintered wood, like a house in a whirlwind or or else a boat crushed by the icebergs or swept over the rapids and all aboard are powerless to stop it it's only afterwards that it becomes anything like a story at all when you're telling it to yourself or to someone else
0: this is a journey into sound brought to you in living color on wtdi Your your attention, please. Attention, please. Attention,
1: please. And now the moment we've been waiting for is here. Life is going on as normally as ever. But suddenly something seems to have happened. Suddenly something seems to have happened. Everybody seems to be staring in one direction. I want everybody to- I, 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 I don't understand. I don't understand.
0: There are a lot of things we don't understand. I don't understand. I don't. What did you expect to find? What did you expect?
1: What's going to find? There's
0: gonna be our future? It, 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 it's your responsibility to do something
2: about
1: it. Well, I, uh, I have the key in my hand. All I have to find is the
0: lock, the lock, the lock, the lock. Do you have anything to say? I have this to say. I have something very important to say to you please I I, I think he wants to be heard that's all, that's all. okay
1: let's hear
0: you. Anyway, I'm talking
1: about my life I can't seem to get that through to, you, that through to you I'm not just talking about one person I'm talking about everybody everybody, everybody. What, what, what do you mean
0: you know what I'm talking about
1: this is uncensored Another public service message. We care about your world.
0: Stay tuned. My guest is Puriya Hussari. Paria is a pediatrician, writer, and an activist for transgender rights. And she's the author of Found in Transition, a mother's evolution during her child's gender change. So to begin with, tell us about Ava, your daughter, and how she started changing as this transition began, and also how you responded when she began telling you what was going on for her.
2: Well, um, my daughter first told us that she's trans when she was 13 and a half. And before that, we actually didn't think that she had any signs of being trans at all. Um, so we were really taken aback, and I would say, for me, my initial reaction was actually um, anger followed by denial, uh, because I thought that it was more of a teenager attention-seeking behavior than actually a valid thing that she was telling me. So, um, you know, when she when she told us, that was my initial response, which, um, you know, I, I obviously now regret because, you know, when she first told us, I said, you know, this is impossible, you, you know, you, you're not right, no, and um, this isn't happening, <laughs> was basically how I, how
0: I responded to her. So you're a pediatrician in L.A. What mm-hmm. What did you know about gender transitions and had you encountered anything like this in your practice?
2: Yeah, so when she told us it was May of 2017, um, so it actually hasn't been that long, although now it seems like so long ago. Um, and at the point that she told us, I had been in practice for 15 years. And I had come across very few trans kids in my practice, but all the ones that I had come across, they had had signs fairly early in childhood, you know, starting at age four or five years old, um, wanting to do things that aren't traditionally associated with the gender based on, you know, sex assigned at birth. Um, And so I had not had any patients at that time who didn't present until they were already going through puberty or later. And... So, and really at that time, my exposure was mostly through media, uh, which, you know, also at that time was presenting mostly stories of people who sort of, quote unquote, always knew starting, you know, from a very young age. Uh, I can tell you that in May of 2017, I'd had zero training as a pediatrician regarding anything related to gender. And, you know, I
1: went to medical
2: school at the University of Pittsburgh from 1995 to 1999, and then residency at Cleveland Clinic Foundation from 1999 to 2002. And not once did I hear the word gender. Um, I only heard the word sex, and really the only thing we were taught that I remember is that by the time you're three years old, you should be able to, sit, you know, you know, if you're a boy or a girl and be able to tell if you're a boy or a girl, uh, but no mention of gender. And then, you know, my training finished in 2002, but I was in practice for 15 years. And in my 15 years of practice, you know, you're required to do yearly um, continuing medical education credits. And in none of my required continuing medical education training was there anything about gender either. So really, once my daughter came out in 2017, I had to sort of start reading about gender and teaching myself everything.
0: So what did she start telling you about what was going on for her at the beginning?
2: Um, so, you know, for her, really, it felt like it all came out of the blue. Uh, When she was 12 years old, uh, she told us that she thought that she might be bisexual. And that, you know, didn't surprise us. You know, we thought, okay, you know, you might be, you might be bisexual or gay, you know, that's fine. And we were supportive of that. Uh, But, you know, we really didn't think that there might be any underlying gender issue. Um, And then when she was 13 and a half, it was, it was really that, um, you know, she ended up telling a teacher in school. And then we, you know, sat down and had a conversation with her, where she kind of, um, she's very intelligent. So she had done all this, you know, research and, and kind of sat down and gave us a dissertation on what being transgender is, and why she thought she was trans. And she basically said that, somewhere around you know 12 and a half to 13 and and her body started going through puberty fairly early particularly for somebody who's born with you know testicles and penis um you you know that kids born with uh testicles and penis tend to start puberty later than kids born with, with uterus and vagina and ovaries um so uh she had started going through puberty fairly early, I think by 10 or 11, which is definitely on the earlier side. And so by around, you know, 12 and a half, 13, as her body was changing more, um, she just started to feel uncomfortable in her body and like something wasn't right and kind of started really researching. Um, I think she said she Googled, you know, not feeling right in your body <laughs> and and then started reading all about being trans and seeing YouTube videos on being trans and sort of spent about six months really thinking about it and reading everything about it and everything she read, she felt like she was experiencing. And she does say that, you know, before 12 and a half, 13, um, she never thought that she you know, maybe trans, Um, it was really once her body started going through puberty and changing when suddenly something didn't feel right to her.
0: So she self-diagnosed herself, essentially.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And doctors tend to hate that, don't they?
2: (laughs) Yes, they do. I I was actually very angry when she told me that she had pretty much self-diagnosed herself based on six months of internet research. That was part of my anger reaction to her, which was not appropriate, but it is what it was.
0: So you are okay with with her possibly being gay or bisexual. Um, Your parents are from Iran. And Mm -hmm. talk about your experience growing up in this country, wanting to fit in, and also about your experience in fifth grade and how all of that has affected the way you reacted to Ava's coming out.
2: Yeah, you know, so I um, grew up in Iran, and my parents moved back here in 1983, which was shortly after the Iran-Iraq war had started, and also shortly after the Iran hostage crisis. And I was 10 years old when we moved back to the U.S., and I started fifth grade in Madison, Wisconsin. And in fifth grade, I, I was bullied pretty much every day while I was at school. Um, and that year of being bullied in fifth grade really ended up affecting me, I think, for my whole whole life in some way. Um, and, you know, it's something that caused sort of a lasting insecurity um, and, you know, and a lasting concern about you know, sort of fitting in and and not being an outsider. And so we were in Madison for one year, and then we moved to Pittsburgh. And when we moved to Pittsburgh, I was again one of the only brown kids in a very white neighborhood. And you know, in Pittsburgh, people were a lot nicer to me. I don't remember specific
0: outright bullying
2: incidents the way I really experienced it every day in Madison, but that year in madison had really kind of shattered my confidence so much that i just didn't really ever feel comfortable fully assimilating once we moved back into pittsburgh and i sort of spent most of my middle school and high school years very lonely um and decided that okay i was going to just get through middle school and high school and go off to college and you know and when i was growing up we would visit um my mom's best friend who lived in New York City and we would visit an aunt who lived in Los Angeles and I'd see, you know, come to these cities and be like lost in in diversity. Um, And so while we were living in Pittsburgh, I decided, okay, you know, this is just sort of temporary. Um, I'm going to, you know, graduate from high school. I'm going to end up moving and ultimately I'm going to end up living in Los Angeles or, you know, somewhere where my future children will fit in and, and blend in. And I sort of had this very clear vision of what I wanted my future to be and what I wanted my, you know, children's future to be. And, and it was basically that my kids would live somewhere way more diverse um, and not experience the loneliness that I had experienced throughout middle school and, and high school Um, Now, I have to say Pittsburgh today is a lot different than uh, Pittsburgh in the 80s and and 90s. But, you know, that was my experience back then. Um, And so I think, you know, part of my concern was that, you know, being in 2017, when my daughter came out, um, I had a very negative image of what it means to be trans. And that's because my image of what it means to be trans was mostly from media, or I'm going to say 99% from media. And so, you know, it was, um, I'm so sorry about that. Um, Yeah, so it was really hard to, you know, have, um, you know, my daughter say something to me that made me feel like, you know, now she's going to be sort of the ultimate outsider, um and you know i think my image of sort of what you know what gay was was not was not a negative image because you know i i'm in los angeles i i have a lot of gay friends you know and i, I did at that time and um you know obviously we're all a lot more exposed to you know homosexuality and you know bisexuality and you know people who are gay you know being out for a lot more years now, and you know with much more you know positive images you know around us, but the image of trans in two thousand and seventeen was really very negative, and I think really that's just starting to change probably in the last year or two, but three years ago it was still very negative, so you know, I think when you were bullied yourself and you you know were this outsider um, and then your child comes out and tells you that they're trans and you've had this idea that you're going to, you know, give your kids a totally different experience than what you had. Um, You know, I was really worried that she was going to have a really bad life, a really negative, you know, experience, that her life was going to be now a hundred times harder than what mine had been in my teen years. Um, And so that was the last thing that I wanted for her. And I also just had a lot of grief because, you know, I thought I had one child and now, you know, I mean, it's the same child, but it wasn't what I had thought. And, you know, I mean, there's no denying that as parents, we have certain visions and ideas of what we think our children are going to be. And suddenly that was, that was no longer the case. Um, I think that was a very long answer to, to your question. but
0: That was great. Um, that was great. Yeah. You completely answered that beautifully. Um, so, obviously, you, you didn't really have any idea what to do in that situation. What did you end up doing?
2: Well, so what I ended up doing is, I, you know, I said to her, okay, you're not trans, and you're just confused, but what we will do is we will get you an LGBT therapist, and they will help you figure this out. And I, you know, in my head, my internal dialogue was like, okay, I'm gonna find an LGBT therapist. They're gonna meet with her. They're gonna say, okay, you're not trans. You're just confused. You know, you're gay. We're gonna move on. We're gonna wrap this up. That's sort of what I thought, you know, in my head, you know, (laughs) that, you know, I was like, that's fine. You know, we don't believe you. Or I should say, I don't believe you. My husband was more open than I was. I think, you know, you're just confused, but I will get the appropriate therapist for you who will help you sort out whatever is going on that's making you feel feel like you are trans. Um, and, you know, the first therapist we went to said, oh, you know, I think there might be something to this. You've got to kind of let her, you know, explore this. And I was like, in my head, I was like, no, no, no. So I came up with an excuse, switched her therapist. Second therapist <laughs> said oh, uh, you know, we might need to, like, listen to this and kind of sit with it, and um, wasn't crazy about that. Ended up with a third therapist. The third therapist on the first visit um, was like, I, you know, I'm not comfortable taking care of your child. You need to take your child to the children's hospital and call the LA Gender Center. <laughs> so this was really, like, six months of me switching her a therapist and being in denial, and you know, after that last therapist was like, no, you you need to do this. I'm not even going to work with your kid. I'm not comfortable. Um, you know, that sort of made me realize, okay, it's it's time to really start addressing this properly. And at the same time, um, a counselor from her school called me um, saying that she had walked into the counselor's office and um, had said that she was, you know, sometimes had some suicidal thoughts. And, that, and then I was like, okay, I need to Take this seriously, and so finally, after that, I ended up at a support group called um, Transforming Family, which is in in Los Angeles. Um, and I ended up making an appointment for her with a specific therapist through the Los Angeles Gender Center, and then eventually ended up at Children's Hospital, and we went from there. And you know, by the time I ended up in the office of the fourth therapist through the Los Angeles Gender Center was you know maybe like seven months or so after she had come out you know by this by this point, I was out of you know I had gone through anger and denial, and I was in grief, but i i knew okay you, this is this is not going away you know and and you, and, you, and you need to you know deal with this, and I was sort of ready to finally surrender and let somebody else who knew what they were doing, you know, talk to her and, and see what's going on and, and sort of go with um, their recommendations.
0: So tell us more about Transforming Families from the first meeting you went to and and then what you learned from that and, and how that helped you and also how, how it helped Ava as well.
2: Yeah, I think, I think the, the first time I went to a Transforming Family meeting, which was a two-hour meeting, was maybe the hardest two hours and the most transformative two hours of my life. Um, and that is because I sat in a you know they they um, divide up um, the families based on you know parents of kids who are pre-pubertal and parents of kids who are you know postpubertal. And so I ended up um, in a room of you know all parents and I don't know, there were probably in my room at least thirty parents, I would say of kids um, who were post-pubertal, and I heard so many parents who had sort of my story of kids who had presented at puberty or later, you know, kids who had presented at 13, 14, 18, 20, and the parents had been completely blindsided like I had been, and, you know, there was sort of no history of being, you know, a five-year-old boy wanting to be a princess or an eight-year-old, you know, boy wanting to grow out their hair, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, there were definitely parents in there who did have kids who had presented younger, but there were many parents who were like me or, you know, even had kids who who were older. And so when I sat there and I saw all these other parents tell a story that was similar to mine, I, you know, it was like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is, this is terrible, because this might be real. <laughs> and yet, I need to take this seriously. And, you you know, and, and I'm not alone. And I'm not a terrible mother. Because, you know, I also was having all these identity crises for myself during this time, like, I'm such a terrible mother, I'm such a terrible pediatrician, how is this like possible? You know, how would I not, you know, know. Um, and, you know, when you then sit in a room with all these other parents who are like, yeah, we had no clue. We were completely blindsided. Um, Then you're like, okay, well, you know, I'm not the only mother who didn't know, you know, the gender identity of her child or was blindsided by it. And and so um, that was really comforting for me. Um, And there was also a therapist there at the meeting who was helping facilitate um and the therapist was talking to the group you know in general um but turned around and said don't be your child's first bully and my husband and i like we both sort of froze i mean it was like a realization that i had been my child essentially my child's bully for you know for the last 7 8 months and it was it was terrible a terrible terrible feeling because you know I had spent the last six to eight months, you know, telling, you know, one telling her, okay, you're you're not trans, switching her from therapist to therapist. Um, She had come to us, you know, in our bedroom, not that long before that meeting, you know, and, and said, do you think, you know, we could practice at home having you call me a girl name and use female pronouns? And we said, no, I mean, everything she had asked, I had just said, no, no, no. But just gone through the motions of taking her to therapy to say that I was doing the right thing, you know. Um, And so hearing that therapist say, don't be your child's first bully, I mean, my husband and I really just both left that meeting drained, uh, like, I I don't know, drained, exhausted, uh, changed forever forever and then at the same time feeling some comfort that hey like we're not alone and we weren't the only ones who had this experience.
0: So it sounds like you you heard something, you learned something about the importance of actually honoring your children's wishes when they're going through this kind of a a gender identity crisis or transition and and talk about the consequences of not listening and being sensitive to their needs. I mean, you mentioned that she, uh, she told her high school counselor that she was having suicide ideations. Talk, right. talk more right. about that whole thing. Yeah,
2: I mean, obviously, the consequences can be drastic and severe. And, you know, we are very fortunate that she didn't have, um, you know, a, a dangerous, terrible outcome. Um, you know, for teens in particular, for trans teens who are not supported by their families, their risk of suicide is three times greater than the suicide risk in cisgender teens. But if they're supported by their families, then their their risk level is, you know, the same as, as cisgender teens. So, you know, so one consequence was, you know, obviously she was depressed and she was having suicidal thoughts and, you that could have, you know, gone further and and gotten worse and certainly would have if we hadn't gotten her to the right therapist eventually. Um, You know, another big consequence is that particularly for kids in their teens or kids who are um, still going through puberty, because some people, you know, you know, will tell me, oh, you like, you beat yourself up too much over this. You feel too much guilt over this. Like, you know, it took you six, Months you know to get with a program, and you know six months of denial, and then you know like you embraced her and look at you now and you know all this stuff you know and and so you know to the outsider um, that it took me six months to you know get her with the right therapist, you know, and then you know another few months to get her into children 's hospital doesn't seem like that's such a big delay, but for a child who is right in the middle of going through puberty, that's also six to nine months of their body rapidly masculizing or feminizing (laughs) in a direction that doesn't match their gender identity. And that, you know, requires a lot of intervention and undoing if that is something, you know, they want, versus, you know, if, if we hadn't had that six to nine months of sort of delay in getting her in with Children's Hospital, we could have at least um, gotten her in earlier and just temporarily blocked her puberty, which is a completely reversible thing that you can do. Completely, you know, blocking puberty, you know, doing hormone blockers um, is completely safe and reversible, Which you know, which is different than doing cross hormones, you know, but just putting a pause is completely safe and reversible, and would have given us the time to figure things out while her body didn't continue to further masculinize, which you know now creates you know facial hair that you know needs electrolysis if you're uncomfortable with it, and you know kind of has, has other consequences you know that go along with it. So I think um, you know it's not just the uh, emotional, but for the child who is in a rapid puberty phase the physical consequences of the denial are also really really huge. Um now if you have a kid who's, you know, 7 8 years old and you have 6 months of denial, you know, that obviously that's not great, but that's not going to affect their physical development in in any way. And if you have somebody who's, you know, 20 years old and has definitely way completed, you know, puberty, you're not going to have a physical consequence of, you know, waiting 6 to 9 months. But so many of these kids are presenting right when their body starts changing. And that's actually the critical time to get your child with the right person and and see if you just need to put things on pause while you figure it out. And putting it on pause, it's completely safe and reversible. Um, and I don't think that little medical aspect may not come out as much in my book because it's a lot more about my emotional journey.
0: Mm-hmm. So you were really worried and afraid for Ava's future as a transgender person because of what mm-hmm. little you had seen in our culture of how, how they tend to get bullied and, and also um, often subject to violence. And unfortunately, many transgender teens end up out on the street, you know, disowned mm-hmm. and and not supported by their families. You met a woman named Sibel who who told you a story that that completely shifted your perspective could you tell us about that
2: yeah so so this is what's interesting about um Sibella Abbott she has um it, it was actually a moth scene of her that i saw um and so i was just on facebook one night and sort of an acquaintance of mine had posted this moth scene on his wall and he was like wow this was a powerful you know video and, you know, I clicked on it and it was a 12 minute scene of Sabelle telling the story of her son who was born designated female at birth and then came out to mom, I think around like 14 or something, as initially gay and then as, you know, as trans. Um, and I watched this video and the way she told the story, it was just reversed sexes and genders, but it was, it was it was as if I could have been her and I saw her go through these emotions of sort of bewilderment and denial and not knowing what to do and then grief and acceptance and, you know, advocacy and, and coming out and telling this story in such a beautiful way. And I just, I just said, you know, she's me, she's telling my story. And for the first time I saw the potential in myself to accept it one day. You know, I just said, you know, I could, I could do this. I could, I could end up going through this and coming out on the other side, and, and accepting, you know, the way the way she did. And so it's, you never know what people are watching. You know, obviously that person who posted that knew nothing about what was going on. In, you know, in my home or anything. They just watched the video and were moved by it. And so you know, I ended up sending the video to everyone I knew um, who knew what was happening, you know, which was my parents and my sisters and a few good friends. And I said, this is what I'm feeling. This is me. This is what's going on. Um, And so I actually went through, I think, Facebook and somehow found Sabelle and sent her a message through Facebook Messenger. And, you know, I had no idea whether she was going to, you know, see it or read it or not. And I said to her, you know, I just need to let you know that I'm going through this and i watched your video and watching your video is the first time I feel like maybe I could, you know, do this and come out on the other side and I'm sending it to everyone I know. And I just want to thank you, you know, for putting it out there. And if by any chance you get this and, you know, you're willing to, you know, talk to me, that would be great. And if not, just thank you. And I had no idea if she would see it. And this was at least probably five years after she had put this video out. So it wasn't, you know, something recent for her. And within a day, she replied back to me and said, I'd be happy to talk to you. And we arranged and, you know, a few minutes later, she called me and and she spent 45 minutes on the phone with me. And I was just so moved that this, you know, woman who doesn't know who I am, and I just reach out to her through Facebook, (laughs) um, would take the time to, talked to me for 45 minutes. And she, you know, in the phone call, she referred to Ava as my daughter. And, you know, I was still calling her my son and using her birth name. Um, But she did it in a really sort of gentle way that felt comfortable to me and what I was ready for. Um, And she gave me the greatest piece of advice I've ever received, which I've You know, I put in the book and I credit her, you know, for with it. And I have written an article in New York Times and talked about it. And I credit her and I, you know, linked her because I don't want, you know, Um, and and her advice to me was that every time she was having a hard time making a decision um, and she didn't know what to do, she would ask herself, was she making a decision based on fear or was she making a decision based on love And so, you know, and she said, so whatever the question is, you know, think what's the fear answer and what's the love answer and choose the love answer. And I mean, that's really applicable in so many scenarios and to, you know, for all parents and not just parents of trans kids. And so I find myself repeatedly using that advice.
0: So how did your family respond to what Ava was going through?
2: Well, I think, you know, I was very um, scared to tell my parents, particularly my mom. And my mom actually responded really very positively. I mean, I think, you know, when I told her uh, the first time over the phone, uh, she immediately said, um, it's okay, everything's going to be, you know, fine, we're going to figure this out. Um, And I sort of repeated, you know, to my mom (laughs) what was going on, I wanted to make sure that she... Understood what I was saying, and that I was, you know, and I, and I was like, you know, mom, you know, he, you know, at that time, he says, you know, he's a girl. He says he wants to wear makeup and start taking hormones. You know, I wanted to make sure she understood exactly, you know, what was happening. And she was like, okay, like, we're going to figure this out. Don't worry. Like, don't stress, you know, and, and I, I, I'm sure that she also at that time thought, okay, this is just, um, you know that she's confused and she's a teenager and so but her response was we'll figure this out her you know her response wasn't this is the worst thing that could have happened <laughs> you know and what and how did this happen you know it was it was just like a positive loving we're gonna get through this it's gonna be okay um, kind of thing uh, my father's response was to immediately research my father is a physician um, to immediately research and then, you know, read everything he could (laughs) in the next few days and and come back and say, okay, you know, we got to just kind of ride this and see where it goes and and, and figure it out. But, you know, was, was, you know, supportive and, you know, I think thought, okay, there is a possibility that this is actually happening. and, And if it is, it's not something, you know, she can control and we have to be there for her. So they were really great. I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate, um, in that I had very supportive family and my sisters, um, I sort of told from the beginning, I mean, initially when I told them it was like in in like anger, annoyance mode, where I was like, oh, you wouldn't believe like the latest thing that's happening. You know, he says he's a girl and now I have to deal with this, you know, kind of thing. And they were both like, yeah, we, I mean, nobody saw it coming or had ever suspected it but you know from the beginning they were just like supportive like yeah we're you know we're here for you and we're always very supportive of her and have you know continued to be that way so um I've been very fortunate in that way I guess
0: now Ava was a sensitive child but through this transition she became really emboldened to really be who she is
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Could you talk about your experience of of Ava before the transition and then after, particularly after she, she experienced the acceptance around her or or maybe maybe regardless of that?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I am really amazed by her bravery and strength and her sense of self, <laughs> and knowing who she is. Um, and I, I mean, obviously, I'm in awe of every trans person who is who's brave enough to, you know, live and be their authentic self, um, because it is not easy thing to do. Um, but, you know, before Ava came out, so, you know, I said that she never really had any what I thought were signs of uh, being transgender, and that, you know, she always had short hair and wore the boy clothes I bought her and never asked for anything different, never asked to, you know, have a younger daughter, never asked to, you know, try to play with her sister's toys necessarily or wear her sister's costumes or clothing or, you know, any, any of those things. Um, But before she came out, um, she was really starting around kindergarten, um, often depressed for no reason. She was just like very sensitive would get depressed. We couldn't figure out why because there was not really anything wrong that we could, you know, come up with and had a difficult time making friends and didn't like to, you know, just like take her to a birthday party and I'd have to like push her to go play with, you know, other kids. Um, She didn't like really being like hugged or held um, and, you know, just like, she was just always sort of a little bit of a mystery, and we couldn't figure out, you know, what, what, you know, why she's so sensitive, why she gets upset so easily, why, you know, I have to like beg her for hugs and, and, and things like that. Um, and after she came out, um, she really started to just thrive. <laughs> um, she started making friends and has more friends than she ever. Has had before. Um, She, you know, would for the first time was initiating, you know, calling friends and doing things with them. Um, Her depression, I would say, like 90% vanished. Um, She became a lot more physical and affectionate. I mean, now she gives hugs all the time she'll you know we'll sit and watch tv together and she'll sit right next to me and you know hold my hand and put her head on my shoulder you know for the entire time that we're watching the show or if we take a walk together you know she'll hold my hand or i mean the number of times she initiates affection is more than you know the other way around and affectionate you know with her friends i mean she's a completely different person um so i just have to think that there was some sense of probably discomfort in her body or something that she just wasn't aware of what it was. I mean, she, you you know, sometimes when you haven't been exposed to something, you don't have the language for it. You know, you just don't know, you know what it is, but you know, her depression, her loneliness, her inability to make friends, her, um, you know, I'm not going to say inability. She had a few friends, but not, you know, the way other kids do. Um, that really all went away after she came out basically to, you know, to everyone. There was a year where she was sort of in this um, in between phase of sort of being out at home um, and experimenting with wearing traditionally female clothing at school and growing her hair and things like that, you know, in her freshman year and then sophomore year of high school, she was officially out and really she just has blossomed since. And she's, had a very, very, you know, once she came out, I mean, once she told us, she was adamant and she was very, very sure. Like, once she figured out this is what it was, she was very sure. And and there was a point at which I kind of tried to, I guess I was, like, hoping she'd be non-binary. I don't know why in my my head at a certain point I thought that being non-binary would be, easier you know uh, because I thought okay well maybe she can just decide that she wants to be non-binary so she can just dress how she wants but not you know do hormones or um, you know she could just be keep the same name (laughs) you know not do anything medical and sort of socially do whatever you want I guess that's in my head what I was thinking of you know the version of non-binary I wanted her you know to be of course this is all you know what I wanted um, and so, you know, I would sometimes, you know, say, well, maybe you just, you know, maybe it's just non-binary or maybe you don't have to say you, like you're a girl. I mean, just, you know, be a boy and wear what you want and, you know, put on makeup, wear dresses, but like just be who you are. You know, uh, you don't need to change your name. This is you and you can dress how you want and, you know, do what you want and, and, you know, one day she was actually kind of sad. And I was like, you know, why are you sad? And she's like, well, you know, I've just been thinking about it. And, like, I'm not non-binary, you know. Trying to be non-binary would be omitting the part of me that, that you know, I know I'm a girl. And, then, you know, omission of who I am is a, is a lie. And I was just just kind of dumbfounded, you know. I just... I didn't even know how to respond, and I and, and and I was like, "What have I been doing? Like, here's this person who's telling me who she is, and is so sure of who she is, and I am like a forty-something-year-old adult who's not sure of who I am, but my child clearly is sure of who she is, and I'm and she's telling me an omission is a lie, and I'm trying to change her, and and when she said that an omission is a lie to me, I was like, "You're a girl," like I mean, I, you know, all the all the why don't you be non-binary talk stopped because it was sort of like that moment where that therapist had said, don't be your child's first bully. It was just so clear to me that I had this all wrong.
0: I think this this whole experience of really being true to one's sense of gender identity having such a profound effect on our own inner emotional state is, I mean, I can understand how most people who've never experienced this would find that very difficult, if not impossible, to understand. But in this case, it seems so crystal clear. And you also write about in the book how you're one of these people who's incapable of lying to other people. And apparently Mm -hmm. Ava is much the same, including in terms of her sense of self. And that she couldn't mm-hmm. really live with herself if her gender identity wasn't allowed to be clearly what it is.
2: Yes, absolutely. Honestly, she is, amaz- you know, she, she's she is really an amazing individual and um yeah, and I think how strong she is and I just think, you know, now that I'm, you know, I'm work with a lot of other trans families and, you know, families with trans, you know, children and and young adults. And I just see, I mean, these kids and young, I mean, they are really strong, amazing people. And if they're just loved and supported, um, everybody needs to get to know some trans people (laughs) and their life will be changed.
0: I can't help but think of all these conservatives in this country who are who are terrified not only of transgender people but they're terrified of gay and lesbian people and how they are so stubbornly resistant to even acknowledging their their presence and their right to be so considering yeah. how difficult this was for you a very open-minded and well exposed and educated person to deal with this um. what do you think would make it easier for other people to understand and cope with their children going through this kind of a gender identity uh, change or transition particularly people who who don't have this kind of exposure
2: yeah I mean I think there's a lot of things for me there were two main reasons why it was hard. One was that everything I knew about trans came from media. And at that time, the media, you know, presentation of of trans people was really bad. And, and I do think that has changed a lot in the last couple of years. I just saw a little series on Hulu called First Day, which is like about a 12 year old middle schooler who's trans and it's an incredibly beautiful done little show and super, super positive. And this is, you know, this just came out like last week. So that one is really changing how trans people are presented in the media. And a lot is happening with that in the last couple of years. And Laverne Cox did a documentary called Disclosure Uh, I think it's on Netflix. And that also came out recently, which really shows you how much we've been bombarded with negative imagery through the media about trans people. And so obviously, if that's all you know of trans people and you haven't been, you know, around them or you don't know that, you know, there's probably plenty of people who do have a trans person, you know, um, that have come across trans people in life, but just don't know that, you know, they're trans. So one was that, you know, we've got to change the negative, you know, imagery, and that is happening. The issue is now, let's say you have this show, you know, on Hulu, and it's a, you know, the 12-year-old main character is a trans girl and played by a trans actress. Um, that doesn't mean that the person who doesn't want to watch this, that you can, you know, make them watch it. You know, that's part of the problem, you know, but, um, but hopefully, you know, people will or somebody will watch it and recommend it, you know, to somebody. And, you know, that helps. Or, you know, for example, when Lori Frankel wrote the book, This Is How It Always Is, which is a fiction novel. And that was in, I don't, it was in 2015 or 16 when she wrote that. And Reese Witherspoon picked that as her book club pick. And so, you know, a lot of people follow Reese Witherspoon's book club. And so then they read this fictional novel about a trans child. And that starts, you know, changing a little bit, you know, even if just a little bit, you know, how they think about, you know, trans people. So part of why it was hard for me is that I only knew negative stories about trans people. And so I didn't want my daughter to be trans. Um, The other part for me that was hard was just that, I mean, when you think you have a child, you know, that this is the child you have and then it feels like out of the blue your child is telling you something and you can't wrap your head around it and you just don't see it and you you feel like you don't know your child and this is not what you pictured for your child and this is not what you thought there is going to be, you know, grief associated with that and it's okay for me to say that. You know, I think you know, part of why I wanted to write this book while it was really fresh and really raw is because I talk to a lot of parents of trans kids now. I'm very, you know, involved in the community, and you know, we all just go through, you know, a grief period to one degree or another. And for some people, it's extreme, and for some people, it's you know, it's fairly minimal. Uh, but for most parents, when it it's sort of out of the blue when the kid is older. Um, the grief is greater. And so that's just sort of how, you know, it is. And so I wanted to, you know, write something that shows that you can be in this deep level of grief and you can come out, you know, the, the other side of it. And, you know, it was sort of what I felt like I needed to read when it was happening. Um, I needed to read that somebody was having needs Feelings that I was having, which were really not very nice feelings, a lot of the time, (laughs) Um, and that you can have all of that and you can, you know, move on and and um, things will definitely get better and you know your heart and mind can expand in ways that that you didn't know are possible. Um, So, I mean, I guess back to your question, how to sort of reach people who are very afraid or you know. Kind of have their minds closed, um, I think visibility you know increased visibility and exposure over time um I mean, if we think about sort of when Ellen came out on the cover of time saying, "Yep, I'm gay in the eighties or I think it was or nineties I'm not even really sure, you know, and it was just such a shocker um and you know where we are now, and yeah, there's still a lot of people who are not for gay rights, but we definitely have made a lot of progress, you know, compared to when Alan came out. And it was like the first person who came out, you know, who was sort of a TV star personality. And it was like, you know, everybody's, you know, shocked. And now we have so many, you know, actors and actresses who are out. So, you know, the same thing I'm sure will happen, you know, for trans people, even though, I mean, sexuality and gender are, are different things. But as more people are, out and visible, and the representation is more positive, um, it will change. It may take five years or 10 years or, you know, 15 or or, or 20, but it, it will change over time, I think, with just repeated positive exposure.
0: You mentioned Lori Frankel, and there was a quote in the book from her book, or from the afterward to her book. Yeah. And I would love for you to read it.
2: Yeah. So when I You know, when my daughter first came out, a couple of months later, my friend Katie sent me the book, This Is How It Always Is by Laurie Frankel. And it's a fiction book about a family of like, and I think they have five kids and the youngest child is trans. And although it's a fiction, Laurie Frankel herself does have a trans child. And I remember I read the book and I was sort of frustrated because it's a great book you know then my frustration has nothing to do with the fact that it's not a great book and a great novel and very well written but I was frustrated because the trans character you know was born male and at you know three four wanted to wear dresses and you know be a princess for Halloween and not leave the house without a you know princess costume you know on and it was like okay but this is not my experience you know and I needed to read you know a story that was more in line with what I was experiencing. But in the afterward, you know, Laurie talked about why she decided to write this fiction novel and, you know, how, you know, people ask her about writing fiction about, you know, a trans kid when she has a trans kid and and so she had this quote in the afterward that I identified with so much.
0: I'm talking with Paria Hasuri. She's a pediatrician and trans rights activist and the author of Found in Transition, a mother's evolution during her child's gender change. And this is the magical mystery tour.
2: And this is the quote. No matter the issue, parenting always involves this balance between what you know, what you guess, what you fear, and what you imagine. You're never certain, even maybe especially, about the big deals, the huge important ones with all the ramifications and repercussions. But alas, no one can make these decisions or deal with their consequences but you. And that quote was exactly where I was, trying to do this balancing act and, you know, guessing what was best and having all these fears and imagining all these terrible outcomes, not being sure. (laughs) You know, it was just like everything I was experiencing. And then and knowing that at the end of the day, I'm the one who has to deal with the consequences of these decisions I'm making, you know, for my child. And I don't feel ready to deal with these consequences. I didn't feel ready then, you know.
0: So how has this journey with your daughter, Ava, affected your life and the way you see the world now?
2: Uh, it's really affected my life tremendously. Um, one, I have a child who was always depressed and unhappy. And my husband's favorite saying is you're only as happy as your least happy child. (laughs) And I had a child who was intermittently depressed and, you know, I couldn't figure out and she's now thriving and doing incredibly well. And she's a senior in high school and she's applying to colleges and she's doing great. So obviously that has a big impact on my life to see my child thriving and doing well than anything else. Um, Other ways that it has impacted me is that I have gotten very involved with the Transforming Family and I do a lot of volunteer work for them and I do intake calls with new families who are coming into the support group And I'm really not really at the point where I need to go to the meetings for support anymore. So I'm more in a helping facilitate role. And watching family after family come in and being in that same state that I was and really within a few months of meetings evolve is an extremely rewarding experience to see, you know, a family come in being like i don't know what to do and i don't know what to do with my kid and i can't handle this and then see them start to you know accept and every parent who comes to that meeting i know no matter what state they're in their child is going to be okay because they took the step of coming to the meeting so you know you're you're ready when you when you come to that meeting (laughs) um but you know kind of helping and just watching the families go through that is incredibly rewarding um, I am now surrounded by a community of families with trans kids that I would not have otherwise met, and that has really enriched my life. We also have many um, trans adults in Transforming Family who help facilitate different groups, and so I have met some incredible trans adults that I would not have otherwise gotten to know well. Um, And that's made a big impact for me personally, um, you know, and this is sort of a lot of what the book focuses on, that I really spent many years carrying sort of that insecure, bullied fifth grade child inside of me and going through this process with my daughter just made me realize that I finally had to put away all that fear and insecurity that I was carrying from my past and sort of move on from it. So I feel like I personally am doing, you know, much better as well. Um, and I've also started to learn a lot more about transgender health care and gone to many conferences on transgender healthcare. And it's definitely possible that I will, you know, change gears and start um, doing some trans healthcare at some point as well. So there's more, but that's quite a bit right there.
0: Mm-hmm. I love the way you're you're going so deep into all of this. Um, during the most difficult parts of this for you, what helped you cope with what you were going through?
2: Um, you know, for me, I started running um, in 2012, and I continued running as sort of my form of meditation, I think. Um, and so I think running really helped me process, you know, I kind of process everything while I'm running. So I think that helped a lot. Um, I should have seen a therapist for myself. My daughter's therapist multiple times suggested that I see one. Um And I said, I don't have time for that. I'll be okay. But I really should have. So that is something I wish I would have done differently. Um, interestingly, after I finished the book, turned it into New World Library, um, had a contract, you know, it was getting published. After all of that, I ended up in a therapist's office, finally, (laughs) Uh, because there were things that all the running in the world wasn't going to be appropriate therapy, you know, for it. But, you know, during this time, I think, you know, running was incredibly helpful. The support group was incredibly helpful. Um, My husband was really very steady and there for me during this time. He handled things much better than I did. And, you know, sometimes I meet families where one parent is supporting the child and the other parent isn't supporting the child or that, you know, parents, you know, don't live together and, you know, disagree about, you know, whether the teen should medically transition or not or, you know, just, you know, all kinds of different variations of that. And so for me, having him handled the whole thing much better. And also um, just, you know, being there for me was really helpful. Um, I have, you know, my my sisters and my parents. And, you know, I had this small group of friends who who sort of knew everything. um, And and that helped a lot. But I would say running is probably my number one form of meditation and, and, and therapy. And the one thing that helps me keep everything together when I feel overwhelmed.
0: You have such a beautiful family, so close and supportive of each other. Ava's other siblings were also very supportive. Um, Mm -hmm. Talk about how they responded to what Ava was going through.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's so many things now I think back about, all the things that I worried about that I shouldn't have worried about or the things that I did, you know, wrong. (laughs) but you know, at a certain point, you know, when I was sort of in my denial anger phase, I was more worried about Ava's siblings and how this would affect them than I was worried about, you know, Ava. Ava was a freshman while Armand, my oldest, was a senior. And Ava was not out but starting to, you know, wear dresses at school and grow out her hair. And I was more worried about, oh, what are Armand friend's going to think and say to him than I was about Eva at some point. I mean, I know that's all part of my anger denial, and that's just where I was, you know. But, you know, Armand was, you know, he would just be like, okay, you know, I mean, he was completely unfazed by his brother in school going to school, you know, in, in dresses. You know, I think he initially didn't know what to make of it, but, you know, very soon started, you know, realizing, okay, this is probably, you know, she's trans and, and, and this is, you know, what's going on. And then there'd be a lot of hushed conversations between my husband and I. And so, I mean, obviously he, you know, he, he figured it out and sort of didn't say anything because Ava wasn't ready to you know, talk to him. And, um, you know, at one point, you know, I asked him, do people ask you about Ava, you know, coming to school in dresses and stuff. And, You know, he's like, yeah, sometimes they're like, you know, why is your brother wearing? What's your brother doing? And I'm just like, you know, what the F are you wearing? (laughs) You know, Uh, at least, you know, he's got some style, you know, and just kind of would shut down any remarks, couple of remarks that were made to him and and was totally comfortable with it. And the day that we finally told Ava's siblings and sat down and had a family meeting and said that, you know, this is what's going on and, you know, that, that she's, you know, trans Um, he was like, okay, you know, because he already, you know, knew and he was like, is that it? You know, like, it was just no big deal. And they've always been really close. And I was so worried that their relationship would change. And really, their relationship didn't change at all. And they're still super close. Um, And then my other daughter, who's three years younger than Ava, so she sort of You know, in that family room conversation where where we told her, um, she initially got excited. She was like, oh, I'm going to have a sister. And then, like, 30 seconds later, you saw this wave go through her, which, like, where she kind of realized, oh, but maybe she's losing a brother. And and then she got tearful, and then she stood there, and she was tearful and didn't know what to do, but then, you know, immediately ran up and hugged Ava and said, I love you. and you just saw these emotions going through her. But even though she was having this experience and didn't really know what to make of it, like within a minute of being told, like ran across the room and hugged Ava and said, I love you. I love you. (laughs) You know? So like she knew that, you know, which I didn't do (laughs) when I was told, I mean, she knew that even if she didn't know what was going on, the appropriate response is to hug her sibling and say, it's okay. (laughs) And, you know, had a few days of kind of being emotional and then it was fine. And and that's been pretty much it, you know, and they are very comfortable with, you know, Ava is very out and outspoken, so it's not a secret that, that she's trans, like, in terms of in the school district and, you know, sort of everybody knows. And they are both very comfortable and proud of their sister, period, you know, so.
0: This story is so beautiful, but it's heartbreaking to think of so many other transgender kids who who don't have such a positive story.
2: Yeah, um, it is. And, you know, that's why I think it's so important for more trans people to write and tell their stories and for their voices, you know, to be heard. Um, Because I think the more, and why I think these support groups, like these family support groups, where you support the family so that they can support their child, are so important. Um, And so I just think... We need more stories, more representation. You know, definitely lots of trans people are writing about their experiences and more and more need to. And I think more, you know, parents of trans people need to tell, you know, their experience. Partners of, you know, trans adults who come out need to tell their experience. I mean, we just need more stories and different presentations and narratives out there. Um, And I think we need to support families so that they can support their kids because that's what we know is going to make a difference. And and we need to normalize being trans because it is normal. And so if being trans is normalized, then, you know, a parent is not going to kick their trans teenager out of their home and into the foster care system.
0: You say that being trans is normal, but there there are a lot of people who don't believe that it's normal. What what can you say to those people?
2: Yeah, I think trans people have always been around. It's just that they've been, you know, in the closet for for a long time and uh, and that is changing recently. But, you know, there's science behind sex and gender being different things. There's science behind, you know, gender variance and what that is, gender fluidity, that gender is a spectrum. There's science that shows that gender is, you know, in your brain. So it is normal. You just need to read the right data and science and information and get your information from the right place.
0: I would love for you to talk about Ava's doctor, who you refer to as Dr. Carlson and the amount of time that he spent with you guys and also how it caused you to reflect on the limitations of your own practice where you lament only being able to spend like 15 minutes at a time with your, your patients.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So our first appointment at children's hospital. So, you know, I'm a pediatrician in in Los Angeles and actually right now, because COVID things are, are a little bit different. We, our appointment times are, have gone from 15 minutes to 20 minutes so that we can, you know, space out and uh, have less traffic through and socially distance a little more and and things like that. And and still, 15 versus 20 minutes is not a big difference, (laughs) but, um, but, you know, generally speaking as a pediatrician, your appointments are 15 minutes and you have days where you're seeing 25 patients in one day and it's very fast paced and it's very difficult to, address all of a parent's concerns and needs in a 15-minute time period. Um, I think it's a frustration that, you know, many physicians feel, but at the same time, if you're a physician who takes insurance, and particularly if you're a physician who takes HMO insurance, which our office does, the reimbursements are so low that the only way to run your practice and pay your office overhead is patient volume basically so that's a whole you know we could get into a whole other conversation there but um our first appointment at children's hospital in los angeles center for trans youth was a two-hour appointment um so we met about maybe 45 minutes or so first with the social worker there who got our story and you know wanted to see how um, she could support us and, and, and what we needed, and then we met with the physician for an hour to an hour and fifteen minutes, and he just really sat and listened to, you know, what Ava had to say, and you know, we we sat in a little circle in his office, um, and it was my husband and Ava and the physician, and Ava did most of the talking, and my husband and I did some talking, um, and. He, you know, really just took the time to listen to everything that she had to say. And we weren't at a computer with electronic medical record. He had a little notepad and a pen, you know, in his hand. And, you know, he jot like a note here and there, but wrote down, you know, very little um, and just intently, you know, listened to her and then gave us lots of information on, you know, blocking hormones, starting hormones, you know, side effects, lots of paperwork to go home with, and educational material to go home with so that we could read about everything. Um and then said, you know, so this the first visit we just sit and talk. Um we don't do a physical you know, we don't do a physical exam because I think that's a lot to do, you know, for a child, you know, who's not comfortable with their body to have me examine them on their first appointment. And it's also you know, all this information that I've just, you know, conveyed to you. So, you know, I send you home with all this education materials. You guys think about it. And if you want to, you know, pursue this, you make a follow-up appointment. And at the follow-up appointment, you know, we'll do the blood work and we'll do the physical exam. And I just remember thinking, gosh, like, this is why I went into pediatrics. It's like, I want to sit down and talk to people. I want to hear, have time to like hear what they have to say and, you know, hear hear their concerns. Um, and then our follow up appointment I think was for that first follow up was about maybe forty five minutes and then, you know, subsequent follow ups have been your short like fifteen minute appointments. But that first appointment was really great and I just loved the way he talked to her, the way he saw her, and I was also very reassured in that you know, appointment, I was thinking, we're we're going in and, you know, she's going to say, this is, you know, just been going on for six months or nine months, you know, at that point. Um, Actually, at that point, it probably been almost, almost a year by the time we were able to get that appointment with Children's Hospital, you know, from when she told us. And I thought, you know, he's going to say, okay, well, let's see, you know, let's see how you feel in a year, you know, because you didn't really have any signs before you were 13, so we'll see what happens. And at that first appointment, he told us this is a very typical story that I hear that at least you know half the stories he hears are of um, you know people who didn't have any signs before puberty, and that he'd been doing this for 20 years and taking care of so many patients and about half the time that kids were presenting at puberty or later, you know, without signs beforehand. And so he said to us, In people where this starts before puberty, you know, sometimes it might be temporary or, you know, they they may not actually be trans and you kind of wait and see what happens. But, you know, once a child has started puberty and is saying that they are trans and presenting a story like this, the chance that, you know, she's not trans is at most two or three percent. And it was like, yeah, if you want to, you know, block hormones and, you know, you just – go out there and make a follow-up for, you know, a few weeks from now and take a few weeks to think about all this, you know, and I was very surprised because, um, you know, I thought, oh, he is going to need more appointments with Ava and, you know, more time to, you know, figure this out and, you know, he heard her story and, and he said, this is a story that I have heard so many times, you know, over the year and. Um, I mean, he did also know who the therapist was that Ava was seeing, who's an incredibly, I mean, we are very fortunate. We have a a great therapist who pretty much almost exclusively works with trans teens, you know, so I think, you know, knowing that Ava was with a therapist um, with that experience and that he knew well, um, who, you know, agreed with us making the appointment and coming probably helped. Um, But, yeah, yeah sitting there and listening to him spend that much time talking, you know, it was just like, you know, this is how, I mean, it's not necessarily realistic to spend an hour with each patient and, you know, a two-hour appointment where they're meeting with a social worker who's, you know, going through everything and all of that, but it's got to be better than what we're, you know, there's got to be some sort of middle ground between, you know, how we are practicing as, as pediatricians right now and sort of this more in-depth appointment for something more specialized.
0: Mm -hmm. So could you give us your website and also some tips on how people can navigate this transgender issue?
2: Yeah. um, So my website is hariahasuri.com, P-A-R-I-A-H-A-S-S-O-U-R-I.com. It has links to articles I've written and uh, to my memoir. And to my social media handles and also, you know, how people can email me and things like that. Um, I think some great resources, you know, my support group is Transforming Family, but there's another um, support and Transforming Family is more Los Angeles based, but there's another organization transfamilies.org. I actually have a list of resources in the back of my book, and they provide us online support groups all the time, not just during COVID. So um, anybody anywhere in the U.S. can reach out to transfamilies.org. I think another great resource is the National Center for Transgender Equality, which fights for you know, rights for um, transgender people. And, you know, anytime there's a legislation that's trying to take away rights of trans individuals, um, you know, they are actively working to fight against it and, um, and sort of tell you how you can help. Um, there is a transgender law center that's great. There is a organization called Trans Lifeline, which is a hotline for trans people in crisis A lot of people are familiar with the Trevor Project, which is also a great hotline for LGBTQ youth. Um, Trans Lifeline is specifically staffed by all trans people. Um, And there's lots of medical, you know, resources, you know, as well, which one of them would be uh, the World uh, Professional Association for Transgender Health or WPATH.org. So... um, There is a lot of great resources out there. I would say for families, maybe transfamilies.org would be a great place to start.
0: Paria Hasuri is a trans rights activist and the author of Found in Transition, A Mother's Evolution During Her Child's Gender Change. Paria, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation, and I, I loved the book.
2: Thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed this in-depth conversation with you. It was great. Thank you. And thank you for sharing my book with your audience and sharing our story and just more trans you know exposure and advocacy for, for everyone.
0: Thank you and be well. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: something more Live if you really want to Live if you really want to Live if you really want All my life I've been looking for something amazing It's almost like I've been stargazing The sky is right above me We for something bigger than this don't ever try to dismiss yourself cause you don't have to so far away, and now it's like they're here to stay, I hold it close to me, oh, oh, oh we we're meant for something bigger than this, don't ever try to dismiss yourself cause you don't have to.
0: It's it for this Magical Mystery Tour. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, take good care of yourselves and each other. If you missed any of the show, or would like to hear it again, or would like to share it with somebody, you can find the show and all Magical Mystery Tour shows at soundcloud.com slash WGDR. That's soundcloud.com slash WGDR.